Welcome to the show. Today on the podcast, we're talking with Tosin Ajayi. Tosin is a solutions architect manager here at MongoDB, and we're talking with him today about the transition from an engineering role or a developer role to that of a solutions architect and how these roles are similar and how they're different. So if you're a developer, you're thinking about the possible roles that you may move into eventually, uh, stay tuned. I think you'll enjoy this one. Tosin is a, a fantastic person. He's got a great story, and I really enjoyed talking with him, as I know Nick has. So stay tuned for the episode. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the MongoDB Podcast. MongoDB Podcast. Exploring the world of software development, data, and all things MongoDB. And now your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy. Tosin, welcome to the show. Would you give the folks who are tuning in a little bit of a description? Who are you? Yeah, thanks for the introduction, Mike. Um, you know, so I'm Tosin Ajayi, as you mentioned. I have been a MongoDB now for about four and three quarters, uh, you know, maybe four and a half years, somewhere there about, but, you know, good minute, mm-hmm. right? but certainly by MongoDB standard, right? You know, especially how fast we're growing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but before I came to MongoDB, um, you know, actually before I got into pre-sales altogether, uh, I actually started my career in development, right? So I'm, I'm actually going to talk to you a little bit about that later. But, um, you know, you know, I had, I have a bachelor's degree in computer science, master's in electrical engineering. So definitely a techie by education and by design, by preference and all those kind of things, you know. Um, but, you know, today I lead a team of solution architects worldwide for our corporate business, right? So I run the corporate solution architecture team, uh, as well as building out this new team of associate solution architects called our pre-sale service center, right? Which I'm super excited about, you know, uh, and I can talk about that later as well, right? And so, in fact, what will be interesting to talk about will be the transition from maybe the traditional way of how people become solution architects, right? Which obviously, mm. Mike, you You've been a solution architect in your career, so you can certainly right. relate uh, to a different way of actually getting there, uh, maybe getting introduced to that kind of field much earlier in your career. Uh, so I became a solution architect actually just out of interest, man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, uh, you know, trying to understand what customers do, understand their problems. I was heads down coding all the time. Anyway, made a transition to solution architecture because I just wanted to get closer to the customers. Um mm-hmm. You know, by background, I mean, totally said to tell you about myself. So I'll tell you a little bit about my history as well, Mike. Um, I'm actually Nigerian. So I was born and raised in Nigeria. So, right. Yeah. Go figure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, started basically in all the sciences and math and so on. So I've always been predisposed to technology, man, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, happy, happy to be here. Happy to talk more about my history, you know, looking for this to be a very fun conversation, man. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah we really appreciate you joining us. Yeah. And yeah. Um, as you mentioned, I did spend time here at MongoDB as a solutions architect. And I think, you know, the, the role is one that, you know, I don't think that I would have seen myself in way back when, when I was working as a developer, working as a, as a technology architect in, in FinServe. Um, but what I found is, as I started to get into the role, I found that the, the skill set required is very similar to that required of an engineer. Uh, but yep. you also get to use some of those skills like, like communication and, and mm-hmm. your personal relationships. Um, yep. How have you found that to, to be aligned with your own personal 
preferences around what you do. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I mean, that's a really good point because it really goes back to what I mentioned earlier, right? Um, you mentioned communication and so on. So, you know, I've always liked engaging with people and obviously not all developers are created equal. Some like talking more than others and, and so on, you know. So, for me, I've always enjoyed, te enjoyed technology, but I've also always enjoyed just kind of, you know, uh, shooting the breeze with people, talking tech, talking all kinds of things. I think, Mike, you and I always talk about, you know, things that we do outside of work, like jujitsu, for example, mm -hmm. right? So I enjoy things like that. And ultimately, what I found personally, at least for me, was in development, while I was good and I enjoyed it, I found myself asking a very critical question is, every time a feature request comes in, right? Every time we have to fix a bug, every time there's a new epic story, so to speak, right? How, how did that come about? Who cares? Mm. Why are we doing it, right? And I constantly find myself asking those questions. And while I will find that answer, I felt that I wanted to hear it more from the customer, right? So my first transition, even while I was in development, was into something called customer advocacy at my old job where I was a developer at, right? So I was somewhat of a customer advocate while still being a developer, right? And mm -hmm. I figured I enjoyed talking to customers, wanted to learn more. And I started researching fields and roles that got me into you know, a realm where I could communicate more with people. And, you know, I ended up in pre-sales. Mm. Yeah. So would you say that you're looking to, to bring more purpose to your, your developer journey by <laughs> engaging with the people who were using what you were developing? Yeah, for sure. Right. I mean, I would, you know, I, I would love to be altruistic about it, Nick. Right. Certainly. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But, but certainly the altruism is part of it. But a part of it was also, frankly speaking, curiosity. You know what I mean? I enjoy talking to customers. I enjoyed solving problems, right? And I figured what could I do that brought both of those things together? You know what I mean? And so to your point, Nick, uh, I do agree that bringing purpose is certainly an outcome for it. And it's one of the areas that has given me the most fulfillment right, in the role, right? But I would say what sparked that journey for me, at least, was frankly speaking, just a curiosity. I wanted to learn more about what got the customers going, what got them thinking about the ways they wanted problems solved, right? How mm -hmm. they positioned the issues they were facing. Those kind of, I wanted to hear more from them. Yeah. yeah. So obviously dealing with customers um, is drastically different than spending time uh, in that thought space as a developer. Yeah. Have you have you encountered challenges around working in the customer space? Oh, definitely, right? Oh, <laughs> you know, I mean... Every customer is different, you know, so, you know, there is no uh, one size fits all when it comes to dealing with customers. One thing you got to understand, obviously, with dealing with customers and people in general is that, you know, we bring ourselves, whether we try, we, we try or not, whether we want to or not, we bring our true selves to work in some form or another, in some capacity, right? And mm -hmm. so learning how to deal with people outside of the problems they're facing is also absolutely important, right? So really being in tune with the human aspect of the role is absolutely, absolutely critical, yeah. you know? So yeah, yeah, I think, and, uh, you know, frankly speaking, um, Understanding how to navigate the the human bit of it, it, frankly speaking, is just as challenging as 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 the technology part itself. Yeah, yeah. but it's a different set of skills. I think it's a yeah. You know, you're I, I don't know. It's almost like you're using a different part of your brain for sure. Oh, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, it's a yeah. you know people talk about left brain, right brain kind of thing. You know, mm. I feel like in pre sales, you just got to be both, right? You know, and you not yeah. just both at different times, 
oftentimes you have to be both at the same time, right? Yeah. So that's why, frankly, I call, you know, people who are in pre-sales unicorns, right? Uh, one of my colleagues would call them, um, you know, uh, um, three-legged unicorns that fart rainbows, you know what I mean? And so, <laughs> you know, and that's just because of the rarity, right, of pre-sales folks, you know? So uh, it, it's a really fun role. And I think, um, you know, to, to to Nick's point, you can find a lot of fulfillment in it, but it certainly, certainly requires you to use both your left and your right brain. We got a great question from yeah. Bill Adrian. Yeah. I don't know if you can see that, but how do you approach the initial interactions with customers when you're really trying to understand the problem they have? Oh, that's a... That's an age-old question, right? I mean, that's a, mm -hmm. that's a very, very typical thing we faced, right? And, uh, you know, the thing about customers is, you know, one phrase that I like to use, and this is a, I like that question because it talks about the problem they have, right? I'm mm -hmm. always a big proponent of you answering, well, you solving problems rather than answering questions. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there's a very subtle difference between those two things, answering questions and solving problems. You know, somebody poses you, Hey, you know, Hey Mike, how do you, you know, write this code to do this or, you know, explain why this is, you know, how to make this thing work. And my thing is really number one, trying to relate with the customer, right? You know, ultimately if a customer is saying, I, customers generally won't tell you the problems they have. They'll tell you what they want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's key to, Take a step back, slow down to speed up, ask the customer exactly what problems are they having. And that could be, you know, how things are working today, what the environment looks like, what their strategies are, where they're trying to get to, what does good look like to them, those kinds of things. It's really trying to connect with the customer. And when you find something that you say, aha, I think I understand what their problems are, or at least uh, when mm -hmm. the customer starts to tell you the impact of the issue they're having, right? That's what allows you to know, okay, I found a problem, right? But if they're telling me what they want to mm. solve, sure, I can tell you how to do it. I don't know if it amounts to anything. Mm. You know? yeah. And so, so before we get to, to Lauren's question, um, I'm curious about how you got into the position. Um, you're obviously a very effective solutions architect and, and now you're leading a team. To what degree do you think it was nature versus nurture? Did you learn this? Is there a process that you studied or, or is some of this just, just tosin naturally? <laughs> yeah, I would love to take all the credit, Mike, you know, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, I'd say, um, you know, it's a little bit of both. And when I say a little bit of both, I mean, there is a, an inherent preference that you have to have for some of the things that we do in pre-sales, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have to enjoy talking to people, right? You have to be uh, somewhat social, you know, and some people have a preference for that and some people don't. However, I would say, you know, uh, I appreciate the compliment, Mike, right? Uh, but I'd definitely say a lot of my success in pre-sales has been due to a lot of what I've learned through education, but also through mentors. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the mm. right way to do things? You know, number one, being coachable, understand when something is not going well, being extremely adaptable, right? Say, okay, this is not working. How do I pivot? How do I change it? What can I do differently? And so on. So it's, you learn, there's a lot to be learned in pre-sales, my friend. Uh, I don't need to tell you that, Mike, right? But, mm -hmm. um, you know, you also have to have a preference for some of the things we do in pre-sales. You know, I know, and, and just one more thing, Mike, I know really mm -hmm. great developers, right? That I actually think will be great in pre-sales right but just one thing is missing to tell me i don't like talking to people right yeah. 
And I say, well, you know what? Maybe the role is not for you then, right? Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that's a great, a great answer. And you know, I think some of the folks listening, maybe developers, maybe they're in a, a development position, and this might sound interesting to them, and that may scare them away. The level of, of social interaction. And I just want to say, uh, you know, in a public forum, that I, I I'm not a hundred percent social. Like some yeah. of this does not come naturally to me all the time. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I go in and out of, of these yeah. um, phases where I'm, I'm really comfortable talking to people, really comfortable yeah. presenting. And then other times yeah. uh, I'm, you know, I just don't, it, it's not there. And, and those, yeah. those, those are the times I think I grow the most when I kind of force through that, because I yeah. think ultimately I enjoy every aspect of the role. So let's get to uh, L. Yeah. J. Hayward's question. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah. So uh, this question is saying, how do you ramp up and sound confident when you're an essay who's new to the product that you're repping? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, ramping is a huge part of what we do, at least a huge part of the process that I've put in place for my team. And, um, you know, one thing I always say is that there is being productive and then there's ramping, you know, and there's a difference between both. Right. Uh, Productivity is basically when I can operate in the role. Right. To a certain degree of effectiveness. Right. And I look at ramping mean I know what I need. I know everything. Right. Or at least to some degree, I know more. Right. And so I don't think people need to be fully ramped in everything before they can sound effective and be productive in a role. What I would say for sure is that, number one, there should be a baseline of knowledge. Right. Depending on the kind of tool you're working on, whether it's MongoDB and the ecosystem, there's a fundamental baseline uh, in what you need to know. Generally, uh, your leaders should put that in place for you based on mm-hmm. the kind of responses we've got from customers, the kind of issues and questions customers raise in meetings and so on, right? But the other skill that, frankly, I think a lot of people underutilize, you know, you know, sometimes we get, you know, a lot of people have imposter syndrome, right? You want to, mm-hmm. and maybe you feel like you don't belong, or some people try to act like they know, <laughs> you know, yeah, I see you, Mike. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, a lot of people want to act like they know more than they actually know. A very hugely underutilized skill is just that of saying, you know what, let me get back Mm -hmm. to you. Right. I don't know the answer to that. Let me get back to you. You know, I'm a huge fan of, you know, researching things around psychology and things like that. So Mm -hmm. I encourage people to look at this chart uh, called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The Dunning-Kruger effect is this chart of, you know, when you're learning something new. Right. What phases do you go through? Uh, and if you've never seen this, it's actually quite interesting. A lot of other uh, philosophies are built off of that Dunning-Kruger effect, but there's a part where you feel like you know everything, right? And it's based on mm-hmm. it's basically a, a thing of knowledge versus time, right? Uh, and if you think about it, right, it's like when you don't know anything, you think you know more than you do. The more you know, the less you realize you don't know. Uh, the more you realize you don't know. Don't know. And the more you continue to learn, the more your skill grows, right? Mm, and mm-hmm. I encourage everyone to really pay attention to that. Don't beat yourself up too much when you don't know the answer to something. Be, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Let me find out the answer. But be diligent about following up. And mm. uh, you'll find out that in no time, you'll become more and more comfortable, right? So, yeah. Well, that's great. So, yeah. So I, I have a question regarding uh, the role. And this, I mean, I've, I've never been a solutions architect before. I've at one point in time thought about it. Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're going to customers as kind of the technical muscle behind sales, um, and you're dealing with technical teams at those customer uh, sites, I mean, I assume 
that a lot of those technical teams, the people on those teams will have the mentality that they, they know more than you do on the subject that you're an expert at. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's your strategy behind that to make sure that you are still getting the customer what they need and kind of getting past those barriers? Right. Yeah. You know, um, it, that's a really good question because um, that's, that can be a very tricky position for especially brand new essays. You know, when you experience and skilled, and we have a lot of those super experienced and skilled essays here at MongoDB, right? You know that you're going to walk into the room and probably within 10 minutes, you will command the room's respect, right? And, and, and you know, you just kind of walk around with that swagger, if you will. Um, the other thing, frankly, is that, you know, part of what we do in pre-sales is also building champions. Right. So the goal should never really be to, um, you know, walk in as the expert in everything. OK. Um, and so, frankly, I think when you walk to a customer, the customer will position themselves as they know the question or at least they know the answer or they know the topic or so on and so forth. Right. For me, I always say find a connection with the customer. Right. Find something that you can attach to that they can attach to. Right. And so a lot of people talk about breaking ice. If you're comfortable doing that, do that. Right. If it's about an area of technology. Right. Bring up an area of technology that, that could be pertinent to someone in the room. The bottom line is you try to break the ice. Right. Rather than jumping into the conversation cold turkey. Right. Get people mm-hmm. comfortable. Because, again, I call pre-sales as much of a science as it is an art. Right. Mm-hmm. If you master the art component, you know how to talk to people, you know how to engage them, find commonalities, right? You find that they're a little bit more receptive to what you have to say. And if you're really good at reading a room, you can say, okay, who are people deferring to? All right, let me try to build that person as my ally, right? And Hmm. if you build that person as an ally, maybe you're addressing their question specially, you're addressing them personally, right? You find that everyone else who's deferring to them would automatically look at you a little bit differently. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I love the approach and, and yeah. I found it to be so true. It's, yeah. it's the difference between um, satisfying the customer's true needs and yeah. really just talking about product. Yes. Now the, the, go- the golden rule with solutions architecture is really to get to that, get to the, the source of the problem that the customer may be experiencing. And I guess the, the opposite of, of doing the right thing there would be just to go in with a demo of a product. Like you mm. may know that product inside and out, but the worst thing in the world for a customer is to sit through what, what we used to call a Harbor cruise, right? Where yeah. you just click all the buttons and you, you touch all the menu yeah. items, show all yeah. the features. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. as you, as you work with your team now, you're, you're leading yeah. a team. Uh, how do you instruct them? How do you nurture them? And, and what do you give them in terms of resources to come up to speed in this? Role? Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, my style, you know, and for good or for bad, right? And I hope for good uh, is that, you know, I, 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 I try to teach and mentor and coach people by allowing them to fail. Right. And what do I mean by that? You know, as much as I want, I know. Right. I know people will be like, Oh, wait, fail. Right. You know, but failure comes in different forms. Right. Means, um, you know, no growth happens in your comfort zone. Right. Right. You have to stretch yourself. You have to be uncomfortable. Sometimes you Mm -hmm. have to fall on your face. Right. Um, As long as the impact of that failure is not, mm-hmm. you know, terminal, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Then absolutely, you know, you know, fail and learn, you see. So mm-hmm. 
you're absolutely right. You know, we don't we don't do demo jockeys around here, Mike. You know, we, we're not about the demo. You know, we don't do demo jockeys. You know, you have to be able to tie the pain. And so as far as material and ways that I encourage people to learn, right, I put a very regimented program in front of people when they join my team. But at the same time, I allow them to actually flex their wings. So rather than being overly prescriptive, mm -hmm. it's really more of a guideline around what I expect you to have learned and what I expect you to have known, right? Not exactly how you do it, right? But mm -hmm. the outcomes that I'm expecting from you uh, in every way. The other thing I also look for is, are you coachable? Are you self-aware, mm -hmm. right? Are you asking questions, right? You know, are you spinning your wheels, you know, endlessly on something that you realize you've tried everything you need to try and it's time now to seek help. Are you able to mm -hmm. do that at the right time? You know, so, you know, I wish I could say there's this one way to learn, but I'm a strong believer that, you know, learning really comes through doing like, you know, I, I saw a chart a while back, Mike, uh, and that says, you know, 70% of learning is structured, right? Mm -hmm. Or something to that effect, you know. Uh, sorry, I, you know, I take that back. About 10 or 20% of learning is structured. I think another 10% is, you know, maybe instructor-led. Instructor uh, some you actually study your own. But 70% of it is really self-taught, right? Meaning yeah. you have to do it yourself. You have to learn it. You have to try it. You have to put your hands on it. You have to make mistakes. And that's really, mm -hmm. uh, really where you learn. That's where the most learning happens. Mm. We yeah. have another question. Go ahead. So we... Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, so this is another question from LJ Haywar. Uh, what are you looking for when you interview an essay? Yeah. So when I interview an essay uh, and really depends on the um, role that I'm interviewing for and, and so on. But generally speaking, I mean, obviously, the role that I that I that I'm in and that I recruit for are fairly technical roles. So I, I look for someone who has an openness to technology, you know, they like it, they enjoy it, they want to do it, they want to use it and so on, right? So technology is one bit, but also the curiosity around technology is another thing. So a lot of people think, hey, you know, when I'm interviewing, I'm looking for you to be expert in MongoDB. No, I absolutely don't expect you to be an expert in MongoDB, right? But what I expect is a certain level of curiosity, right? Mm -hmm. That's shown, what have you done in your spare time? Right. Uh, what do you enjoy doing? You know, uh, do you are you fast learner? Do you like learning new things? So that's one bit of it. The other thing as well is, you know, MongoDB is a fast growth organization. Right. So <clears throat> Mike and Nick, you know, you guys both been around for a little while. You know, I, I know I know Mike by longer than Nick. Right. Uh, but, you know, MongoDB has evolved so much in the time that we both joined, Mike. You know, so mm -hmm. are you adaptable? You know. We're a fast-paced yeah. organization. So if you're not adaptable, right, if you get really bogged down by changes, you know, then that could be a problem as well, right? So I look for adaptability, propensity, uh, and interest in technology, right? I look for a good team player, you know? We are a team mm -hmm. and we operate as a team and that will not change. That's exactly how we do it, right? And one of the things that made us really, really strong is how well we work together, right? So I look for how well are you going to fit within a team as well. Right. So those are probably the three main areas. Everything else, I think, can be taught, to be honest.
So <clears throat> let's talk a little bit more about the profile of yeah. a, a a successful candidate. What does that look like? Um, are you talking in terms of experience? Are you talking in terms of ability? Yeah. You know, what I, do you mean? I think yeah. a little a little bit of everything there. Like, what do yeah. you look for in a candidate? If if a, if a candidate resume comes across your desk, what are you looking for that that might be an indication that this could be a successful candidate? <laughs> right. So, um, you know, generally, again, I eat kind of goes by different roles. But, you know, for MongoDB, uh, if you look at our portfolio, if you look at our product uh, product portfolio and you look at the kinds of, of customers that we deal with, you know, you want to have some degree of um, development exposure, right? Again, it doesn't mean that you have all the years of development, you've been a hardcore mm -hmm. developer, but it means, you know, you've tinkered, you understand the different languages that are out there. You understand what customers are using, what's more popular, you mm -hmm. played with some of them. You know, for me, when I was uh, in school and when I worked and in my side projects, I mostly used Java, right? Uh, in my first job, I did a lot of C and C++, you know, I tinkered with things like Python and mm -hmm. so on. I played with MongoDB before I got to MongoDB, right? So these are the kind of things I look for. So do you have some development experience? Do you have exposure to databases, kind of a tech stack, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. from a front end, you know, maybe application level development, middleware, infrastructure, mm -hmm. backend databases, do you have some exposure to those kind of things. Now, I don't, again, I want to be very clear. I don't expect everyone to be an expert in everything, right? But a certain exposure to all of those would be really useful. And if I can then identify a specific area that you've decided to hone your skills even better, right? If you think mm -hmm. about our teams, teams are extremely diverse in skills. And what I also like to build is a balanced team, right? I can't have mm -hmm. everyone on a team super expert on development and no one knows anything about infrastructure. Our product suite is growing. You need to know about cloud infrastructure, databases, application, and so on, you know? Do you have a breadth of knowledge that comes by way of curiosity? And you have an area that you focus on, and that could be any of those areas I mentioned. And I will absolutely, absolutely talk to any candidate that shows that kind of profile, right? You don't have to be an expert in database. You can be an expert in infrastructure. You can be an expert in yeah. application development, right? Yeah. 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 And I, th I think the key thing there is, is, like you said earlier, having the curiosity and then having some way of proving that you can translate that that curiosity into some type of success yeah. uh, and, and also being able to talk about some failures. Yep. Um, yep. So, so to finish out the, the profile, um, I like that you said that you don't have to be super expert in, in everything, but what are some of the, the languages? Like if someone's listening to this or watching this and, and thinking, I want to, I want to dig into this and, and maybe even pursue a role at MongoDB, what are the, the common frameworks and languages that you're seeing that are popular out there in the customer space? Yeah, so we see a lot and depends on the kind of market, right? So as I mentioned, you know, I manage, I lead a team in the, in the you know, uh, for our co corporate side of the business. I was leading a team on the enterprise side as well. So I've certainly <clears throat> seen a, a gamut, right? I would say, mm -hmm. generally speaking, uh, the common languages all apply, right? Uh, Java, mm -hmm. you know, even C++, um, you know, mm -hmm. Node.js, uh, you know, Python, all those are extremely applicable. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I also see a lot of people with, you know, things around like Go. I see more Go now, you know, and that's mm -hmm. also quite interesting. And I would absolutely look at that. Right. So from a programming language perspective, that's perfectly fine. So I say Python, uh, Java, even C++, mm -hmm. Go, Node, 
Um, you know, I've even seen some PHP. What I generally find though is that it's rare to find someone who has one and not at least one or two more, right? I'd be mm -hmm. extremely surprised if I find a developer and say, yeah, I know very much about this programming language and I know nothing else about nothing, right? I'd be, mm -hmm. I'd be extremely surprised, right? Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, those are kind of program, and, and I'm pretty sure I'm not, I'm not being exhaustive here, Mike, to be very, very clear, mm -hmm. right? There's a, there's a lot more that, you know, I'd certainly take a look at. I'd say I'm also a believer that if you know one programming language well, you can easily pick up another, right? Mm -hmm, relative mm -hmm. ease. It doesn't mean you'll become an expert overnight, right? But you can certainly mm -hmm. read code. You can certainly debug if you need to. Uh, and then maybe over time, uh, do much better at learning things like constructs and architecture and benefits mm -hmm. and so on and so forth, right? But again, I, I don't want to belabor this point, but I think this is really important to say. Um, when you think about customers as well, you know, especially in pre-sales, our goal is not to write production grade code. That's not what we do right? Yep. We're essentially writing code to solve a problem at a point in time, maybe to prove something can work, not to mm -hmm. make sure that it is absolutely, um, you know, foolproof and completely uh, error-free, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we actually have a question coming in from Ayush, and I have a few questions, so I'll, uh, I'll hijack this from Mike for a bit. Uh, sure. But, uh, first, Ayush's question, we're just going to say, uh, as a full-stack developer, how do you recognize if being an SA is the right role for you? And how do you make that switch? So this might touch base on your experience of being a dev switching over to SA then, Tosin. Yes, yes. Hey, uh, thanks for the question, Ayush. And, uh, you know, you know, um, every SA has a different journey. That's what I found, right? And, and my journey is this. Um, I was in development. I wrote a lot of C and C++ code, some Java code. Uh, for a database company, in fact, right? I was writing database backend code, not uh, DBA. I was more of a backend developer for a database engine. And um, as I mentioned earlier, what tends to happen in development, as a use can probably relate to, is that you know uh, you work on epic stories. If you if you're in the agile Scrum type of methodology, for example, right? You work on epics, and then epics become you know uh, user stories, and then you have tasks mm. associated, and you essentially just kind of work on them. My question always was, where do those epic stories come from, right? That curiosity was what started my own search, okay? Mm -hmm. For you, it could be an exposure that starts a search, right? Meaning you talk mm -hmm. to a customer, you enjoyed it. I've heard, you know, pre-sales people who had that experience where it was like, yeah, I had this one meeting. There was no one who could take that meeting. I was thrown into it. I was super nervous and I just loved it, right? And so that's, you know, you got to look for, you got to find out if it's something you enjoy in terms of actually talking to people, solving problems. And I'll be honest with you, right? A lot of people would like to say, um, you know, as a pre-sales person, you're kind of like a developer. You transition when you become pre-sales, frankly, right? You transition. And it doesn't mean you become non-technical, but it means you become, especially depending on the kind of tool you work on, you work on a wide variety of things. Whereas in development, you go deep in one thing. In pre-sales, you tend to touch on a lot of things. You got to ask yourself. Do I, am I going to enjoy this one thing? Now, how do you transition, right? Uh, a few ways that I would encourage, engaging um, um, anything that has to do with customer relationship, right? Talking to customers, engaging with people, show, showcasing that skill and your ability, or at least desire uh, to talk to people. And the other thing, there are other roles that you can look at, right? Uh, that may not be immediately pre-sales, but they can kind of start your journey uh, into pre-sales, right? 
frankly speaking, I think, you know, developer advocacy is one. Absolutely. You know, if, if we're being honest with ourselves, right? Uh, yeah. Developer advocacy is where you get to evangelize product. You're still very technical, but you become mm -hmm. an evangelist to product. You become exposed to customers, right? Uh, another way, frankly speaking, that I've seen people transition could be even from things like product management, right? Mm -hmm. You can transition from development to product management, and you can come into pre-sales from that. And in pre-sales, uh, in my organization, I recently built a team of associates, uh, solution architects, right? It's an uh, uh, entry, uh, entry level or early stage career role for people who want to become pre-sales engineers or pre-sales professionals, right? Uh, you can look for organizations that have something like that and see, yeah, you know, can I get into it? Uh, is it the right stage in my career to do something like that, right? So there's several ways and, uh, you know, hope, hope those make some sense and help out some. Yeah. Oh, so I was going to bring so we, up the next question. Sorry, Mike, I cut you off again. Uh, go ahead. This, okay. this I, and I understand, Tosin, if this might be out of your out of your area of knowledge, and it might be more appropriate for Mike. But since you brought up developer advocacy, I mean, where where's the line between the two roles? Because on on a mm -hmm. on paper, they look very similar. So what what would be the true differences? Would you say? Yeah. So I mean, you know, I certainly let Mike, uh, you know, chime in on this one, right? But you know. Uh, you know, pre-sales and, and developer advocacy are extremely important roles in any organization. Now, I will say the difference is in pre-sales, you're working with potential customers, right? Customers who are maybe they have a specific problem and they're looking for a solution to that problem. Right. In pre-sales, that's who you deal with. Right. So while you still do some evangelism work, you're really attaching and focusing more on specific problems a customer has. Whereas in developer advocacy, you really are evangelizing the product and its capabilities and the ecosystem and its, you know, the value essentially to a community, right? So you're bringing the value to a community, almost building groundswell and having people truly see what the product is capable of, right, uh, in the market. Uh, Mike, do you, well, you know, you know, I, I may have completely butchered what what no, uh, what your not team at all. does, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spot on. I, I think you're more often faced with, you know, that that one-on-one -on -one customer interaction as a pre-sales engineer. And I think the, the key difference is also that it, it, most of the time in the sales engineering or sales architecture role, you're paired off with one or, or uh, a few sales executives. So these are, these are people that, that manage the relationship with the company and, and you know, oftentimes they're navigating through the customer uh, ecosystem to, to actually find where the product may, may be needed. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that, that relationship with salespeople. Some of the developers yeah. listening may not, may not know what that's like. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, the, the more we have this conversation, Mike, the more I realize, you know, um, there's a lot of things that I also take for granted just by being in a role, but you're absolutely right, right? As in, in pre-sales, um, you work with a lot of people, but when you think about your core objectives, right, it's really supporting sales. And who are the people you support in sales? They are the sales executives, as you mentioned, Mike, you know? Mm. So depending on your organization, right, the pairing may be different, right? But the bottom line is these are the people that you work with day in, day out to talk mm -hmm. to customers, understand their problems, show them how your product can potentially solve their problem, right? Essentially sway them if they need to be swayed, right? Uh, understand your competition, right? 
you know, differentiate yourselves from your competition and ultimately bring value and revenue to, to your company, right? Um, so that's a very key component of pre-sales. Now, we also work with the entire ecosystem. So as Nick and Mike and myself, you know, we, we know each other and we kind of, you know, we talk a lot of junk to, to, to one another, right? Uh, and that really goes to say that you, you work well with the ecosystem, even within the organization. Because yeah. frankly speaking, we have to work together, right? I need help from the product team, right? So you have to know how to work with all, all the other teams, whether it be the marketing team, the product management team, the developer relations team, uh, the customer success team, the support team. I mean, I can go on the development team. I can go on and on and on. And I can tell you that I know people within each part of the organization because we always have to work together. We absolutely have to work mm. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, in, on your journey, well, I'll, I'll talk about myself. Yeah. Uh, because that's what I'm really good at. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so my journey, I, I really relied heavily upon um, my leadership team. And there were leaders that, that um, I may have worked for for a while, and then I stayed in contact with them. And they came... They became mentors for me. And it sounds like mm -hmm. you've probably got that going on with some of the people that have worked for you. But I'm curious yeah. about you. Uh, to what degree do you, do you credit mentorship to your success? I mean, you know, so in, in an earlier question, yeah. I think that was one of the things that I, I'd love to say, you know, I, I learned this and I, I figured it out. You know, I think it was how I uh, made a transition or how I kind of, you know, how you ramp or something to that effect. Right. Ultimately, for me, I'd say mentors have played an invaluable role in my own career and my own success, right? In pre-sales and just in general in, in life, right? Um, here's the reason I say that, you know, I, one of my favorite quotes, right, is that learn from other people's mistakes because you will not mm. live long enough to make them all yourself. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, and that's just the, the, the reality of it. So I'd say mentors play a very huge role because they've made the mistakes. Or they, you know, or they have learned from other people, people's mistakes that they can share with me. But again, mm. it becomes an entire ecosystem of knowledge that I tap from. You know what I mean? So, so I mean, Absolutely. on the topic of mentorship, um, yeah. previously you mentioned when you were looking for essays, uh, you didn't need to be an expert um, in any of the any of the technologies. Um, you just had to meet some criterias. Um, what's the ramp up look like when somebody joins <clears> your <throat> team? How how do they? How do they go out in the field and be successful? Is there a, a do, you, do they team up with somebody during the process? How, how does mentorship actually work? Yeah. So, you know, to be clear, one thing I said is, you know, um, it, you don't have to be an expert in everything, but I would like to see, you know, a, a depth in sure. at least one thing. Right. You know, I, you know, I don't I don't want to be a whole bunch of fluff <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, so you got to at least be good at one thing. It shows interest. It shows focus. It shows all those kind of things. But to your point, Nick, I'd say ramping is also, you know, a, a, a strong area of us here at MongoDB, especially in the pre-sales organization. Uh, yes. So when you join, at least from MongoDB, uh, you have a mentor. Right. So meaning you'll be paired with someone who helps you get prepared for we have a boot camp for sales. We have the mm. pre-sales boot camp that you go through. Uh, and then you also have your entire onboarding program that you go through. That's essentially a three month long uh, program uh, that you kind of taper off as you learn more. Right. So it's extremely structured. Right. Uh, in that the goal is not to get you out know, to, to put you through the ringer just for the sake of it, but it's to 
put a program in front of you so that you mm. understand what good looks like at the end of three months, right? And you also have a mentor that guides you through the way that you can go to for questions if you have them, right? And so on. But but at, at the end of the day, I would say here, you're not going to learn everything from that program that I put together, right? You're not going to learn everything. This is where, when I'm vetting for good candidates, that curiosity aspect plays a huge part as well, right? Mm. Yeah. Love that. And, yeah, and I yeah. love that you, that you give your, your team members some autonomy so that they can, they can not only learn on their own, but on their own, but also uh, find out where their interests are so that they can grow into that space. And um, yes, yeah. I, I kind of think that probably leads to a really good, solid team. Um, yes. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about like, what is the makeup of your team? Do you have uh, folks that are expert in, in one particular area? What's, yeah. the, what's the makeup of the team? Oh, man, you want me bragging about my team, Mike? Uh, <laughs> shout, shout out, welcome. I know, exactly. You know, uh, I have a fantastic team, you know, and I'm not just saying that because um, it's my team. It's, it's you know, the, the, the amazing work that they've done. Uh, look, I took over the, the corporate, the global corporate uh, solution architecture team at MongoDB in, uh, you know, a, uh, April uh march of this year actually and i can't i can't go on and on about the team but just you know to keep it brief the makeup of the team at a high level you know i have people who are really great at databases right i have folks who have um years of experience even in some cases decades of experience and i have people who are brand new into pre-sales maybe two three years into pre-sales right mm -hmm. so it spans a gamut and as i mentioned right we not only want or i not only want a team that's really strong but i also want a team that can grow others right because if you think about it right i mean that's how you build a great company it's not you bring it mm -hmm. where everyone is an expert in everything, but you also create an opportunity for people to grow, right? So I have that. So databases, I have really strong application developers, right? I have inf people who are really strong in infrastructure, okay? Uh, I have people that come from product management, okay? I have people that come from DBA world, right? They're in DBA. I have people from business intelligence, right? They work with things mm. like BI, reporting tools, those kind of things. And it's super, super good. You know what I mean? Again, when you really look at the team, I can literally right now say, hey, I have this kind of issue that we need to address for a specific customer. I know who the expert is on my team and I can go immediately to get them. Fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. So one question I will always ask whenever looking at a, a different role, yeah. and I'm sure there's developers considering this, how does the compensation differ? Uh, are you, as a solutions architect, you're working with salespeople, do you have a quota? Um, you know, solution architects don't get uh, quotas. Uh, and I will say that, um, and that's by design, meaning the, mm -hmm. the solution architect is not specifically tied to a number. And, and that's by design, right? Uh, sales reps that we assign to do get quotas, but solution architects themselves don't get quotas. Now we attach to a number, right? There's a number that we work towards, right, as a team. Uh, and, and, and so we, we keep it that way. And generally, the solution architects numbers that we look at is based on a broader team number you know what i mean mm. uh yeah so you know with maybe it's a region territory those kinds of things you know uh geography uh those are how the numbers are tied to okay now to be very clear uh, that's not the only component that makes up the you know 
kind of uh, how essays get compensated, right? There are other factors as well. But yeah, we're not tied to essays don't have numbers attached to each essay. So let's put it that way. Okay. Yeah. So maybe maybe you're contributing as a, as a team to uh, maybe a larger regional number or something like that, right? Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Now, uh, to be very clear, different organizations may have different structures. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, I'm simply speaking to how we do it at MongoDB. Okay. Yeah, good yeah. Good to consider. Yeah. 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 Well, this has been a, a fantastic chat. So we're yeah. right about 50 minutes. Um, yeah. Nick, what am I forgetting? What do we, what do we, what else do we need to cover? Um, I don't, I don't know, Mike. That, oh, uh, I know what I wanted to ask. I mean, I, I had, a, yeah, oh, I, I wanted to ask about, um, some of the common questions that you're faced with, uh, by customers. Are there a, a set of common questions that customers ask you? Yeah. Yeah. The first one. Yeah, exactly. Um, good one. You know, tell me about MongoDB or how's MongoDB different from fill in the blank. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, you know, cause you know, Every customer today is using some database of some kind, or at least has some knowledge of a database. So tell me about how MongoDB differs from. Uh, now, the interesting, some of the interesting ones that we get will be um, how we differ from maybe uh, things that we don't even compete with per se, right? You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. uh, so that's a very, very interesting one. Um, another very interesting one, and I would say is super important, uh, is really around uh, explain to me what other customers are doing with MongoDB. Right. And these mm -hmm. are the kind of questions you get very early on in the conversation. Okay. Which are what are other customers doing with MongoDB? Uh, how do you differ from this other kind of piece of technology? Mm -hmm. um, um, explain the document model to me. That's a really good one. Right. Because the document model is a, is a complete change in mentality and philosophy around how data is structured. Right. So if you haven't learned about MongoDB, certainly go learn about the document model is really cool. The way we store data in MongoDB. Mm. Right. So a lot of people really want knowledge and education about that subject itself. Right. So explain the document model to me. Uh, now with Atlas, right. Uh, we get a lot of other questions that relate to the entire product suite in the product portfolio, which is, you, you know, or not just Atlas, but maybe the MongoDB data platform altogether. So mm. questions about Realm come up now, explain Realm, talk to me about the region supported, what cloud providers is Atlas available on? I mean, I can go on and on and on, but these mm. are early stage questions we get, right, yeah. with customers who are getting maybe initial exposure uh, to MongoDB data platform as a whole. Mm. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. I feel like uh, we've we've covered quite a bit of ground. I think it's yeah. been really helpful for folks trying to understand what this solutions architecture role is all about. Yeah. I'm just wondering, are there any other questions that are coming in? We had a question about OpenStack. I, I don't know if you uh, if you have exposure to that. I, I certainly don't spend a lot of time with OpenStack. Um, is that something that you see? Um, not too much, to be honest with you. So I don't get a lot of um, OpenStack. Mm. Um, questions, at least in the corporate, you know, when I was in uh, the enterprise, uh, we did get some OpenStack questions, right? Um, I'd definitely encourage whoever is asking to basically look at our product page, right? Mm -hmm. uh, especially the integration bits, uh, you know, uh, that we have, especially with, you know, some of these infrastructure as a service providers and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, to see how we can work with, with platforms and OpenStack. Mm. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, if you're curious about that, about how Atlas works, um, Atlas sits above the, the cloud provider level. So you can deploy your MongoDB instances in the cloud provider of your choice. Yeah. Um, 
so there's top the top three are, are covered there. Um, yeah. And I will plug the uh, a future episode of the podcast. We're going to be talking about some additional providers like um, like Terraform. If that's of interest to you, make sure you subscribe to the to the podcast. That's going to be coming down the pike. Great conversation, Tosin. Yeah, really, thanks. For, yeah, really, thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate yeah, I really it, man. appreciate you. Yeah, it's yeah, great to sure, great to spend sure. time with you. Uh, yeah, one yeah, more question awesome. before we before we begin to close out. Um, what are you reading these days? What what's keeping you busy? Oh man, you know, um, so different things, right? Um, You know, recently I started reading, um, you know, some, I don't know whether you call them self-help books or whatnot, Mm. right? Uh, But I'm a huge (laughs) fan of this book called Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, right? Mm. Um, Yeah, so that's, you know, not a, you know, maybe a plug for the book or whatnot. But uh, what I found at least for me is that, you know, my time gets so busy these days, Right. Mm-hmm. And really figuring out the best way to focus on the most important things, uh, you know, is something that I think we all can improve. on. I certainly know I can improve on that. Right. Uh, so I've read mm-hmm. the book before. Uh, I'm just reading it again uh, as, you know, as uh, my time, you know, the demand for my time grows. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Tosin. Yes, how sir. How can people get in contact with you? What's uh, the best way? Yeah. Social media, email. Yeah. You know, my, my. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, in person may not work very well these days because, you know, um, I work from my uh, home four wall office. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, email's fine. My email is pretty simple. You can get at me at Tosin at MongoDB dot com. Uh, LinkedIn as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm over there. Just, you know, Google search, whatever. I think you can probably find me relatively easily. Just look for Tosin and Chai MongoDB. I'm sure <laughs> that'll come up. Uh, those probably two ways to to get in contact with me follow up on that is uh, and i know that this will be published at a later date uh but yeah. are you hiring at all for your team mm, good question always hiring my friend always hiring and so uh yes um as i mentioned i actually have a fairly broad scope right now for my team which basically means that's good news for people out there uh meaning from extremely experienced pre-sales professionals right to early stage career folks who have interest in pre-sales, you know what I mean? So Mm. all the way from associate solutions architect, all the way to senior solution architect I'm I'm, I'm recruiting for. So yes, uh, anyone who wants to reach out to me, you know, uh, the best way will be email me or reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always on those uh, media and, uh, you know, certainly check it out and respond. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Tosin, once again, thank you so much for spending time with us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Glad to be here, man. Good to see you, Mike. Always Good a pleasure see- catching up with you, buddy. <laughs> Good to yeah. see you. Hey, bro, yeah. are you uh, are you rolling? Are you doing any jujitsu these days? Hey, man. You know, I wish I could. You know, yeah. uh, I tried. I, I tried doing virtual jujitsu. Just wasn't working out, Mike. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You could do jujitsu virtually. So right now, it's uh, not rolling much. How about you? <laughs> no, none. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah I, like you, I tried it virtually, but I, I kept uh, choking out my monitors. <laughs> exactly so you know jiu-jitsu is on hold for now all uh yeah. all, all all martial arts is on hold for now and uh just try to get the workout at home whenever i can you know pull up bars uh push up equipments all that kind of stuff yeah there you go yeah. yes awesome. sir yes sir cool man yeah, <laughs> all right yeah, yeah thanks again tosin awesome awesome good to see you guys awesome. thank you good to see you, Speak right, with you soon. yes sir see you later thanks for listening If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. Have a question or a suggestion for the show? Visit us in the MongoDB community forums at community.mongodb.com.